0: most unreasonable and outrageous things that jesus ever called on us to do most of the stuff that jesus says i need you to be nice to people or i need you to give or i think yeah that kind of makes sense because that syncs with who you are or even with everything we knew before jesus which is you know like this book of old testament laws and anyway it all kind of flowed but when he gets to you know we get to jesus and his teaching and he just he just turns everything around and he says, and you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, we're not going to do it that way anymore. And this is to a group of people, a nation that had been at war since day one. I mean, you just read through the Old Testament. What? Forgive my who? I'll never. And someone stepped up and said, you know what? I have found this grace to forgive an enemy, and I cannot tell you how liberating the last two weeks have been. I don't know how God's going to move and work in you today, Uh, but I do know that every morning, in some way or another, you're asking whether God will provide. Every day, in some way or another, we, we ask that question. You face that at work, in school, maybe at home. Raising your kids, paying your bills, everything that we do, we have this backward glance like, Lord, have you got this? Because I'm feeling a little shaky about it. This is what Ruth chapter 2 is all about. So will God provide for what we need? Uh, If so, how will he do it? Uh, Sometimes my question, I finally got into this place where I say, Lord, I know you're going to provide. And I've kind of started trusting you and seeing the bigger picture, but what I would like is for you to do it the way I want you to do it, right? That's I'm like, Lord, I know you're going to take care of me, and I've kind of figured out the best way, so what I'd like to do is just to be real specific about that, and that's where God and I often do this, and he goes, yeah, I'm going to take care of you, but you know what? All of your plans, that's really not going to work so great. We're not going to do it that way, and then I pout or I negotiate, I bargain back and forth, I make promises whatever, you know, Lord, I really you know, however, I've given this a lot of thought and this is my prayer and I would rather not see all the options or for you to do it your way just this one time and he rarely ever does that. So what is our part in the process and what is God's part? Now I mentioned to to Kevin earlier uh, that there was something I had in my notes and I pulled it out and now I'm putting it right back in uh, and this is something I'm going to ask you to do. If you have one of our handouts or just a, you know, a piece of paper or something, I don't know if you, you might could do this uh, with your phone, but um, if, if you just picture like a sheet of paper and on one side at the very top of that, you write, my part, my part. And on the other side next to it, write God's part. My part, God's part. My part, God's part, and then between the two, just draw a line all the way down. So this is your homework. I want you to think about whatever situation you're in, whatever circumstance, whatever area of provision uh, that, that is most pressing for you. And after today, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, sometime that's convenient for you, lunch tomorrow, uh, think through what is my part in this situation What's God's part? Because here's the thing. (laughs) A lot of the time, I spend all my emotional energy and my thoughts and my maneuvering and everything trying to work on God's part. God's like, I got this. This is my part. You just worry about your part. But where the worry comes in and the anxiety and all of that is all about what it's, it's totally out of our control. And if you're like me, you don't like being out of control, right? So this is going to be tough for some of you and easy for others. But think through, what is, just, what is really totally up to the Lord? I'm, there's nothing I can do about it. Put that on His. What can I do? And then start your list on the other side. Okay? So put that aside, and we'll come back to that. But that's going to be uh, kind of the way uh in, in in not exactly like that but you're going to see that that principle that way of moving forward is exactly what happens uh in this part of our story in the book of ruth so we're going to look uh at the practice you know of god's provision and he doesn't do it this way every time he doesn't do anything the same way every time uh but i've found that very often this is kind of the flow of how God moves and works in ordinary people like you and me. So let's begin with verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 2. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Imelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth said to the Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I find favor." And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Uh, Now, the writer lets us in on a secret. Uh, He tells us something that Ruth and Naomi don't know yet. Okay? It's kind of like a movie or a book where you get to see something that the other characters don't know, and you kind of, no, don't open that door, no, don't go in there, or whatever it is. Um, The writer introduces Boaz to us. And we're not exactly sure, if if you just read this for the first time, you think, uh, they're just adding another character into the story, how's he going to fit in? We don't really know either, but somehow you get the sense, this guy is going to play an important part uh, of the story as we go forward. And it adds suspense. You know, who is he? What's he about? And all of that. And it tells us two really important things about Boaz. We do get some, you know, a clue, kind of a hint of who he is. And the first thing is, is it says he's a man of great wealth. Now this means, the word, it says he's a great, a man of great value. This is really more than about his economic status. This the fact that he's rich. You know, he's just a rich guy. It means that He is a man of great worth because of who he is. His identity, not just how much is in his bank account, That he's a valiant man. He was probably a warrior. He's a powerful man of status. He's very well respected in the community because of just who he is. It's not about the money. It's who he is. And this is important to the story because it hints at a fact that Boaz has the power, he has the influence uh, in that community to do something that would be able to help these two women. Now, the second thing we find out about him is that he is from the clan. We're East Tennessee, we understand clans, right? He's from the family of Elimelech. And that was Naomi's deceased husband. Now, this is important because... People who were in the same clan were supposed to watch out for one another. It's even written into the law. They had responsibilities. They didn't have life insurance. They didn't have, you know, all these provisions built in like, well, my husband died. Oh, so now I get his pension or I get, you know, the way it just didn't work like that. The next of kin, the next brother, and usually there were several brothers if there was. If there wasn't, then it would go to the next person, you know, and they had to you just showed up at their house and go hey elimelech died when's breakfast uh, you know I'm, I'm here i'm ready um so everybody knew that that's how this worked well he is of this family and they really haven't figured that part out yet and we're, we're kind of led to wonder how is this influential relative going to fit into god's plan for naomi and for ruth hmm, let's go forward and I can imagine these two ladies, maybe one morning they're sitting down for breakfast and there's nothing there. And they're just kind of sitting at the table. Or maybe it's at dinner time and they're going like, uh, you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. What do we got? Uh, you ever do that? You ever go in your, your house and you open the cabinet? And even though it's full of food, or you, you ever tell your mom, we don't have anything to eat in this house. And then she pulling out her best mom move and words, go, eat anything in there that you want. The refrigerator's full and you open it, look at it again and go, there's nothing I want in here. And you close the doors again. Well, this is kind of like that, except there was literally nothing. There were no old cans of black beans or green beans or red beans or pimento. There were none of that stuff sitting in there. There was nothing in the refrigerator. You think, oh, I'm not going to eat that. You know, and there was really nothing there. And maybe Ruth said, you know what? I've got an idea. I know about this law in your country and it's really kind of good. What I'm going to do, I'm going to go out into the field in the morning and I'm going to glean among these ears of grain and get us something to eat. Now what Ruth is referring to here is something uh, it's a system that God had set up in his word as a means to take care of poor. And it's it's really simple but it's just absolutely in, ingenious now the israelites were commanded and this you can go back if you want to dig into this it's in leviticus 19 it's in leviticus 23 it's in deuteronomy 24 the israelites were commanded that the corners of the field when they're going through and they're harvesting like the barley or you know whatever crop it was they don't get into the corners they leave the corners Uh, How would you say that unharvested they just yeah okay you get it and as they go through uh, you you know you get maybe 80 or 90 percent of it I, I grew up in West Tennessee and it was cotton country and even after the harvesting you look out there and you still see bits of cotton everywhere you know, and you could go out in there, and that's the idea, and maybe every now and then they'd accidentally forget a sheave of wheat or barley, and you look back and go, oh, we forgot one of those, and the law said, uh-uh, uh-uh, n- nope, nope, leave it, leave it there, so then someone else could get permission, they could come in behind them and kind of clean it up, they get the leftovers, they would be gleaning you know I told you a minute ago that I you know I got to I was at a place where I was kind of hungry and I didn't have enough food so my roommate and I had an idea we would go to pizza inn in Jackson Tennessee and we would just get waters and we would sit there and we would watch and people would eat almost all of their pizza except for two or three pieces and if they looked like fairly clean decent people before the server could go over and remove that we would grab it it would take us about three hours to to eat I know some of you thinking that is gross I would never do that yeah you would <laughs> you would uh, and we would eat we you know what we were doing I know you're thinking he is pathetic he was is <laughs> wow but um we had all kinds of stuff like that that we would do uh, a lot of churches on Wednesday nights would have these meals kind of like we do here at Calvary we have cafe and first-time guests are free we visit every church within 50 miles of Union University. You know, and we'd eat that free meal. And yeah, we're thinking about going here maybe. What is that, chicken? <laughs> so we were gleaning. We were gleaning. That's the idea. That's what Ruth's doing. She goes, I'm going to go glean and I'm going to bring back some food. So you get the picture. You get the idea. And I love, I love how generosity is just woven into God's law. He wanted Israel To be a blessing to bless others. You see, it wasn't just for their consumption. It was never supposed to be about just them. He said, the whole design of this is I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing. And that's in Genesis 12 and in chapter 22. He says, this is the purpose. So he's really generous. So throughout scripture, we see this basic principle that God cares about poor people. God cares for the poor. Let me stop. I'm not going to camp out on this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. This is not a political issue, this is a spiritual issue. It's not about being a Democrat, it's not about being a Republican. It's about being a man or a woman of the word, a man or a woman who's generous. And see the needs of the people around them. God's word made provision for the poor. He always counted that. Always thought ahead about that. And I notice that it's his way of doing this. I think it's just a, a beautiful thing. That he did this. He provided for them in a way that also preserved their dignity. It wasn't a handout. They would step up and do this. But it was in a way that would honor them. She speaks of uh, Ruth says, "Gleaning after one in whose favor I might find, uh, in whose sight I might find favor." You know, just pray that I get somebody with a good field and somebody that's nice and is not going to be dismissive or mad at me or they've already arranged for somebody else. Uh, you know, that they know or you know, oh my cousin needs something, so they've already set it up over on the side for them to glean. Just pray that I find somebody really good. And there's one word uh, that characterizes Ruth chapter 2. And I think it's the word favor. Pray that I would find somebody in whose sight I would find favor. She had no idea how God's going to answer that prayer. It's going to be over the top. The word favor uh, also refers to this word. And like I say, we just, we just sang about it a moment ago. We would translate it as loving Kindness. The cool thing about this word is that we don't actually have. We made that up because we don't have an English word. This is chesed in the Hebrew, uh, and we can't translate it. We'll look at it next week in chapter 3, verse 10. We don't have an English word that means everything this word means. It's this favor and this love and this grace and this mercy, and it's, it's all of this blended together, and the Lord just shows this to us. And it's going to be that kind of favor that Ruth experiences through this stranger, Boaz. It's going to be such a contrast with this darkness and this harshness of the time of the judges. When everybody's just doing whatever they want to do and what they think is right. And you know they're not concerned so much about following God. Now the text mentions again something you do already know. And that's that Ruth is the Moabite. You know, when you're from somewhere else or there's something different about you, then you get labeled and you get tagged. Well, I'm sure Ruth had a Moabitan accent or she wore Moabitish-styled clothes or maybe, I don't know what it was about her. But everybody's called, yeah, the Moabite. I mean, it was so racist. Uh, It reminds the reader, though, the nations, the Gentiles, people not from Israel are blessed as they faithfully follow Yahweh. It's not about if you grew up Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Atheist, or anything else. It doesn't matter what country, what place, what generation you grew up in. God longs to show you His loving kindness. There was a time when I thought, that's for others, but not for me. God likes these other people, but he doesn't like me. God would love, he would forgive others for what they've done, but you don't know my story, and I, don't, I think I'm on the outside of that. You're not on the outside of that. God loved this Moabite girl so much. And he's going to use this foreigner, this Moabite, to bless not just people. I love this. This is kind of the irony God's going to use a Moabite woman to bless Israeli people. He's going to use a foreigner to bless all the folks at home. Isn't that great? Um, So let's see what happens next. Look at verse Uh, 3. Let's go to 4. We just read that, uh, 4 to 7. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for one short rest. I was going to make a millennial joke there, but I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. Uh, but she had worked all day, had taken one, one coffee break, and then back into the field she went. Please don't be offended. Um, just messing with you. Lighten up. Okay. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, that there is, remember, we know something about Boaz that Ruth doesn't know yet. And right now, we that, that there's something kind of exciting uh, that's starting to go. That's beginning to happen. Uh, He's a relative. He's a man of worth. And you can even see it in the way that he greets his. You know, you can tell something about somebody when they just walk up. And he says, hey, may the Lord bless you. Good morning, everybody. God bless you. And they say back to him, will the Lord bless you? And he just immediately creates this atmosphere, this environment that's pointing people to the Lord. So I think think those around him liked him, and even just the way he greeted his workers. He's not just a man's man. He's God's man, and everybody knew that, and there was a joyfulness about him. And he's a fair guy. He's a good guy to work for. People would line up to get a job uh, in Boaz's field. He's also the most eligible bachelor He could be on that show that you watch. He was the most eligible bachelor. Don't you know that every woman in Bethlehem, every mother of every unmarried daughter was bringing him plates of cookies, if they ate cookies back then? And But Boaz, why don't you come over and have dinner? This is my daughter, Elvira, you know, and she's... here's Ruth. She's not playing any of those games. She's not being flirty. She's just showing up. And she hadn't planned to go to Boaz's field. She didn't know who this guy was. She just chanced upon that as she's trying to make a living. You know, she's, I got to have a job. And I'm just going to get out there and work. I'm going to make this happen so we can have something to eat. Now, we know, of course, that even though you know what ruth didn't know she didn't have a plan but god did god had a plan god is at work here and one of the exciting things that i love when i'm saying this is that right at this very moment god has a plan and he's probably working that in so many lives in this room and you don't even know it and maybe in a month or a year you're going to come back and say you remember that well you have, I had no idea that sitting on the same row with me might want to look over, just up and down. God might be working something uh, that you don't see right now, but he's at work. Now, I was at two weddings this weekend. That's what I do in my off time. Uh, and I always do counseling leading up to the wedding. And, and as a part of that counseling, I get to hear couples' stories. And I just love how God gets people together in so many different ways. And each story is just unique and special. This couple, this couple said, well, we met online. Uh, and Don't tell people that. But, and I said, no, that's okay. That's, you know, they met online. This one, their mama fixed them up with somebody. And this one, these two people thought, oh, you know who would be perfect together? Do you have people like that in your life? Your aunt, your mother, you know, your roommate, and, and they go, Oh, you know what? You got him in. No, I'm not going to do that. Yes, you are. And that's, you know, all these, there's just so many different ways that all this comes together. Uh, for some of you, you're from here, so maybe it was at a family reunion. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just, just kidding. Okay, now, Boaz happens to visit the field at the right time look at it. He just happens to show up at the field at that time. And the writer, kind of gives it away a little bit because he says, now behold. I mean, you don't just, he does this right. Oh, and Boaz went over to the field. He goes, no, wait, stop, stop, stop. Listen to this. Boaz showed up at the field right then. So he's kind of given us an indication, something really, really awesome's about to happen. Now for us, Will Boaz, you know, you could see if this were a soap opera, will Boaz notice Ruth? Will they somehow meet? Will anything come tune in tomorrow? Sure enough, Ruth catches Boaz's attention. And it doesn't take long for Boaz, you know what he noticed? What stood out, what really jumped in him? The first wedding you know, that I was a part of just a couple of nights ago, right in this very spot, it was um, Anne-Marie and, and, and Khaled. Um, Khalid Abdul Rahman is just one of the sweetest guys you ever want to meet. And they're starting their honeymoon. But she said, you know, they were at the lake, and they said, we got to tell you about this guy, and they're telling all these things. And she's thinking, okay, that sounds really great. I like that. But then they said and he really loves and takes care of his mother. And for some reason that got her attention because guys, however she knows, however you treat your mom is how you're gonna treat her one day. So anyway, this just kind of stood out to her. Now this is a little bit of what's happening, what attracted, I'm sure Ruth was gorgeous, I'm sure she was beautiful and that that didn't put him off at all, But what pulled Boaz to her is that he had heard about her character, who she was as a woman, and her loyalty and faithfulness and love to Naomi. He said, Oh, that's the one who left her own country to come here with her mother in law and just stayed with her and is still with her. I like that. I want to meet this woman. So that got his attention. Um, And Boaz was a guy whose eyes were trained to see the worth of a woman's character. He saw her beauty, but he looked past that. He saw her courage, he saw her faith, not just how much money she had or what her ethnic background was or any of that. I think this is going to be a little bit of a preacher stretch here, you know. And in, in Matthew 1, 5, there's a genealogy listed, and Boaz is in it. And it says, Boaz's father was a guy named Salmon. We'll have the Salmon. That was, uh, that was her, his dad. So I think he learned it from his dad. But I also think, and some of you may not know this about Boaz, guess who his mother was. According to Joshua chapter Two, chapter six, Boaz's mom and Matthew one, Boaz's mom was Rahab. Do you remember Rahab, the spy, the prostitute who bravely you know sheltered and let Joshua's spies safely escape Jericho because she you know believed in Yahweh. She's a foreigner. She's got a real shady past and all these things. Boaz said, you know what? That doesn't concern me, who she is. He was able to look past all these labels and all these things about each other that we use to judge each other and to see the woman. He was used to that. And he asks about her to his foreman. Who is she? Who does she belong to? What? I don't recognize her. I mean, he just starts asking questions. Why? Because he's interested. This is the Old Testament equivalent to stalking her on Facebook. Okay? And he looks, and it says, Ruth, status, single. And he notices these things, and he's looked at her Instagram, and he's asking about her, and he's checking her out, and... Something is beginning to happen uh, in their lives. And she's gotten permission to glean in these fields. Now, before we look at Boaz's response, I want you to step back for a minute and just remember how we got here and at this place about God's provision. There's two things that stand out in this, this first scene. One is the initiative of Ruth. Her get up and get it done kind of attitude. Ruth doesn't sit around. I'm so poor I'm so tired and I'm just so hungry and I'm a Moabite and nobody cares and life's been so hard you know and she doesn't say look she doesn't sit around she doesn't say God I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to work I'm going to wait for the pizza delivery guy to show up I'm going to wait for something like that to happen you know what she says okay God I trust you I'm going to get up and go to work I'm just going to get up and go to work and some of you just waiting and waiting and waiting on the Lord. And I get that. There are things we all wait for the Lord about. But in the meantime, show some initiative. Go to the party. <laughs> You're not going to meet them sitting in your dorm room. You know, so get up and, and go to the event. Come here. Get a job. <laughs> Enroll in school. Whatever it is, it's not going to happen typically you just sit back but she showed this initiative and we know from the beginning of the chapter that boaz is the man he's the man but she doesn't know that and we wonder you know how did she find boaz's field did god draw her a map and say no no no, no not that field not that field this one nope, keep going keep going okay that field did he, did he do it like that? Did he, did he give her a vision of a field and she saw? Did he speak to her? Did she have a dream? Did, did any of those happens? Those things, you know, go to the field of a man named... A man named what? What? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Boaz. Okay. Now, I wish we could interview Ruth right now and, and just to say, you must have had some definite leading, right? You knew, you knew something that you had heard about Boaz, and how did you know where to go? And she would say, have you not read the story? That didn't really happen at all. It just says, I happened to come upon Boaz's field. And sure, yes, of course I prayed. Yes, I asked the Lord to guide my steps. I had no idea that I would end up in Boaz's field. And as I look back on it, I can see that God was leading me into that field. It's no mistake, but I didn't know it then. How many times has that happened in your life? Where something just, just amazing and wonderful unfolds and you go, Oh my goodness, I had no idea that this was happening. Or that I would get there and they would be there. Or this would, it would just unfold at the very same time that I'm praying or that I'm seeking the Lord or that I'm about to give up. God was doing something over here you didn't know anything about. You see, and besides the initiative of Ruth, we see something in these verses about just this quiet providence, this provision, this working of God. He is directing the steps of Boaz and Ruth and they don't even know it. He's taken ordinary, everyday events. It's just another day. Maybe it was a Monday. It was just a Monday. They had no idea what's going to happen next. But these small choices that they make and these moments where they just do the next right thing, they just did the right thing, God used that to accomplish purposes that were bigger and far greater than they could have ever imagined. And aren't you glad that Ruth had this idea? Well, I'm not just going to sit here in the kitchen, I'm going to go get a job. And it's not going to be a job way up here. It's going to be entry level, minimum wage. I'm just going to go glean the fields and get us something to eat. If she had not done that, just think with me for a second. We're going to wrap up. But if she hadn't done that, there would be no King David. There would have been no baby in the manger in Bethlehem. Remember, Ruth and Boaz would become king david's grandparents and jesus was in the line of king david isn't that amazing when god provides it's so much more than just a chance meeting out in the field he does so in a way that blends together our own initiatives and our good choices, wise decisions, with his quiet providence. I've seen him do that in my life. I've seen him do that in some of your lives again and again and over and over. We don't have to wait around for God to send us a vision or a dream or at least an email or a tweet or something from heaven telling us, This is what to do and where to go. And I'm going to tell you specifically. Wouldn't it be nice if you knew exactly? And sometimes we don't. And I've talked to so many believers, you know, who talk about God's will. uh, God's will for you. And they not only know their own thing for God's will. They know somebody else, you know, God said. Well, sometimes he does that. Every now and then he's done that with me. But usually it's not real clear. I, I don't have that hotline maybe. But he will use his word. If something you're thinking about is in contradiction to the gospel, probably not God's will. You can bend it and twist it and try to figure it out and how you're the exception. And um, If there is not God's leadership or the circumstances, just dictate. You know, there was a time I wanted to go somewhere and I wanted to do something. The money wasn't there. The money didn't come in. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to make believers. No, you know what? I just, okay, God, you have told me through my circumstances how you want me to go, which direction. Doors open and doors close. And if Ruth were here, I just wonder if she would say, you know, when I went out that morning, I really didn't know where to go. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I went to this field. It had nice grain, but the people weren't very friendly. And I, I just felt awkward there. I didn't feel like I fit in. Uh, and there was nobody else gleaning, so I left. I moved on. I went to this field, and it wasn't in very good shape. I thought there was really nothing there. Somebody's already come through. And then, then I, just happened, I just came to the fields of Boaz, and I could see that things were different. It was an open door. And I have to tell you, it, it, it's, it's kind of exciting to live like this. I mean, if you had a blueprint, you had a map, and you knew exactly what was going to happen every day, how boring would that be? What if somebody right in the middle of a movie leaned over and said, oh, that's the guy that's about to get killed. (laughs) Why did you tell me that? You know, that kind of just ruins the movie, right? It's the not knowing and going forward. How could life ever be boring when you walk with the Lord so I'm going to leave you with a question with a statement with an idea you never know what God is doing all you can see is your side the rough side of the tapestry you can't see what he sees So don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. You never know what God is doing.